This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. More than 36,000 South American migrants have arrived in Denver since 2022. As hundreds come daily by the busload, the city has been pushed to the brink, providing emergency shelter, health care, and trying to meet their basic needs. Mayor Mike Johnston has cut department budgets and personally appealed to President Biden for help. But is there more he could do? My guest is a law professor with a really big, innovative idea that could change everything. Today is Monday, January 22nd. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Cesar Cuauhtémoc Garcia Hernandez, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. So Mayor Mike Johnston just got back from yet another trip to Washington, D.C., where he was calling for more federal support and a fast tracking of work authorizations for the thousands of migrants that we're seeing arriving in Denver. How do you think he's handling this crisis? Yeah, I think he's he's trying to leverage all of the resources that are available to him as the mayor of a mid-sized city. He's certainly using the dollars that the city has at its disposal, trying to you know f- shake the cushions out from departments across the the, the city to see where they can uh, free up some some cash to redirect towards assisting any of the folks who are arriving in our in our community. Uh, but he's also trying to pull those political levers, and and so I give him uh, credit um, where where credits due, which I'm not prone to do when it comes to elected officials. But you know, in this instance, I think I think he's trying, and um, I'd like to see him do a little bit more uh, creative thinking when it comes to to the challenge that the city and all of us who live in the city of Denver are currently facing uh, with regard to, to migrants. But um, but I think uh, he's 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 on the right uh, track. Let's talk about that. This thoughts that you have. What more could be done? What what is the creative thinking that Mayor Johnston could be doing? Yeah. Look. The reality is that some of these folks are not going to be eligible for work authorization. The federal government is tied. Um, there are some laws that actually um, were enacted by Congress that simply uh, limit who can get access to work authorization. For example, when folks come and they apply for asylum because they're 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 coming to the United States for because of a fear for their lives, um, it, it t- basically takes six months after they apply, not after they arrive, but after they apply for asylum before they are even eligible to apply for a work permit, right? And during those six months, they... they, they what do you do? They, what do you do? How do you live? I mean, how do you live in a city like Denver that's getting ever more expensive, right? There's nothing that, that the mayor of... 
Denver or New York or any other city can do about that. Frankly, there's nothing that the Biden administration can do because that is just a federal law enacted by Congress. And it would take a federal law enacted by Congress to undo that or to alter that. Um, and then there's folks who are eligible for work permits because of um, some Biden administration initiative that's specifically targeted toward folks from certain countries like Venezuela, for example, which is highly relevant to, to, to Denver. Um, but those have cutoff dates. If you're not here in time, you know, then you're not going to be eligible. And so the city is left to deal with you know, what, the question of what happens to the folks who, who are just not eligible, do not meet the guidelines to get a work authorization permit from the federal government. And that's where I think some creative uh, thinking is is um is 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 perfect for for the 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 mayor's office um to be to be heading so i i see what you're saying like legally how the laws are created or, or set out right now it seems impossible what would that creative thinking look like to break through that or or do something different yeah ever since 1986 when ronald reagan was was president congress enacted a law that says um that private employers cannot hire people who do not have the federal government's permission to work in the United States, who people who are not U.S. citizens. Um, and ever since then, it's sort of been understood that that means, okay, well, no one can hire uh, anyone unless they have uh, any migrant, unless they have uh, the federal government's permission to work. The reality is that that law is written pretty narrowly. The law specifically focuses on private employers, and that part's clear. Private employers, whatever private business in the city, cannot just go around hiring people unless they have proof that the federal government has let them work. But that law does not mention state governments. It does not mention local governments. And this is interesting because courts tend to emphasize the words of the laws that Congress actually enacts. The courts don't go around asking, well, what did you actually mean? What is these 500 people, 535 people who voted on, on this law back in 1986 actually mean? What did they intend? No, what did they? What we focus on is what are the words of the text? Because in the political process that leads to the enactment of any law, there's a whole bunch of compromise, right? And here, the, fa the fact that this federal law from 1986 does not say that it applies to state or local governments gives an opening to a city like Denver um, that already hires many people, that already has budgets and personnel offices and lots of work that needs to get done in our in, in, in neighborhoods around our community, um, to take a creative, uh, bold step forward and say, look, we're gonna use that wiggle room, we're gonna exploit that wiggle room in, in, in the federal law and start hiring some of these folks, bring them onto our own payroll um, and then go from there. So that's your big idea, really, is to interpret this idea of a private business and say, the government is not that. Why doesn't the government become an employer of some of these folks arriving in Denver? That's right. Look, the feds, the same federal, federal law that focuses specifically on private employers and says they, they, they cannot hire folks who don't have the government's permission, the federal government's permission to work, talks about local governments, talks about state governments and other parts of the law. So Congress knows how to write a law that applies to state governments. It knows how to write a law that applies to local governments. Um, but it did not write this law with a focus to include state or local governments. Um, and so, yeah, I think the the city of Denver, uh, other cities around the United States uh, could, could take advantage of the opportunity that Congress um, has given them uh, to create 
um, uh, work opportunities for folks, whether or not they um, are U.S. citizens, whether or not they have the federal government's permission to work, and then figure out, you know, are you qualified to do to do whatever the job the the job is that needs to get done. In theory, it sounds great, but I think what what are the risks for the Johnston administration if they decided to take this step? Whole lot of political blowback. Okay. Um, you know, the mayor is, is a Democrat, the president's a Democrat. I would have absolutely uh, no doubts that there would be a ton of pressure uh, from 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 the White House and from from Congress, from high ranking members of Congress not to call out the Biden administration in, in this way. Um, I think also um, the, the, the more uh, uh, concrete um, sense of blowback is a lawsuit. The Justice Department, um, headed by the, by, by the attorney general, who's appointed by the president, uh, would sue uh, the city. And so before enacting anything like, like this, um, the city would need to be prepared for, for, for a lawsuit and, and ready to you know, put its 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 goals, its values, um, the the desire that the mayor constantly is talking about to get these folks to uh, who, uh, to work because that's that's what they want to, to be doing. Um, let's put some put some uh, some of the city's uh, weight behind that um, and and do as. Yeah, as as I, I I hate to I hate to give too much credit to to Texas Governor Greg Abbott, but he he says you know we'll see you in court, and he means it. I'm thinking Johnston's also been in this office for less than a year. I mean, starting out with a lawsuit, do you think the lawsuit would be successful? I mean, what what would that what do you think that would play out like? I don't know. I don't know whether the lawsuit would be successful. It's an, it's a it would be the first time that any state or local government um, that I know of pushes the the limits of this uh, federal law in this way. The University of California, uh, the Regents of the University of California, which is the the body that controls the UC system, um, is 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 thinking about has publicly said, look, we're 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 thinking hard about uh, uh, rolling out um, a policy like this specifically for our students. UC system has about 250,000 students across all of its campus. So we're not talking about a small town here, right? We're talking about, you know, good size, a mid-sized city, uh, in, 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 in fact. So, yeah, I, I don't think that the, the, the Johnson administration would necessarily be um, hanging out on a limb by, by itself, um, but it, it would be an opportunity for, for Denver um, to really take the lead um, when it comes to migration. And one of the things that um, has happened over the last you know, seven years or so, really going back to the to the um, end of the Obama years, beginning of the Trump years, is that you know, Denver's often sort of joined forces with other cities and other states that are are led by Democrats, have a pretty liberal, if not progressive, streak to them. But but very very rarely has Denver been willing to stand there, stand out there at the front, right? And this might be a, a nice opportunity for Denver to say, look. We're a grown-up city. You know, we don't have to be in California. We don't have to be on the coast. We're our own place. We're not just the the leader of the of Colorado, the, the leader of the Mountain West. We're a leader at the national level, and you know that comes with that comes with the willingness to take a punch. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is, like, surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. You brought up this uh, situation happening in the college, the school system in California with a similar situation where they're, they're trying to utilize this. They're trying to create jobs or at least opportunities for jobs for students who are undocumented. Because there has been pushback to that as well. Um, George Fishman's a senior fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and a former Department of Homeland Security official wrote, quote, their contention that the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986's ban on knowingly hiring or employing immigrants unauthorized to work in the U.S. doesn't apply to state government entities, skims over the fact that violations of the law carry civil as well as potential criminal liability and have resulted and imprisonment. Do you think that's a real concern? Right. First off, the Center for Immigration Studies is what the Southern Poverty Law Center calls a hate group. Right. So I think it's important to keep in mind that this is a very virulent anti-migrant organization. Um, now, that said, I'm not just going to attack the, the messenger. I'll also deal with the message, right, which is that it's illegal to do this. My point is it doesn't apply to state and local governments. If, if we were talking about a private employer, right, any any private business down federal? Um, sure, I would agree. Um, there are there are there are criminal consequences. There are potential civil consequences as, as well. We're not. And That's my point. Is this law does not apply to state and local governments, and therefore um, the, they wouldn't uh, face face those consequences. Now, if they go to court, they lose the battle, and then they do it anyway. All right, then, then you've got problems on your hand. I'm not I'm suggesting that. I'm a lawyer. I, I'm I'm a I'm a law professor who teaches students about yeah you know, who, who teaches the next generation of, of students. Right. I, I, I deeply respect the outcomes of judicial proceedings. I also am well aware um, that when there is wiggle room, there is somebody out there willing to take advantage of that opportunity when your values point you in that direction. And this is what we see from Republican uh, leaders of, of states like Texas and Florida on a regular basis. They're exploiting a, a little bit of wiggle room, um, um, often with the support of organizations like the Center for Immigration Studies, um, and, and, and enacting a really broad-based um, uh, policies um, that really make life harder for migrants. We see in Texas um, that their Texas National Guard is literally facing off against uh, against border patrol agents, keeping border patrol agents from accessing the border. We're seeing that that the state of Texas is deploying you know barbed wire along along the river, right? 
they they've they've decided that there's some wiggle room in the law there. They've gone to court. You know, I would hope that if they end up losing, that they will abide by those directives. And I would hope the same for the city government of Denver or any other city government. Only here, what I'm advocating is a policy that is much more welcoming toward migrants rather than what we see in places like Texas and Florida. What I'm hearing a lot is this is a lot about interpretation. And I think that that's something that we talk about with laws in America all the time. It's a lot about interpretation and challenging that interpretation. Lawyers are nothing if not wordsmiths. Our job is to figure out what the law says, figure out what it does not say, and then try to advocate on behalf of our clients, right? And the city is essentially, the constituency is the community, right? The people who make this such a vibrant vibrant place. Um, and, and so if there is the political pressure on the um, Johnson administration, um, then perhaps the political will will, will follow. Um, uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's, that's something that only time, time will tell. What about the purpose of that 1986 law you're talking about, which in, I'm thinking of this like familiar conservative argument, like people say, but those are our jobs, you know, like Denverites are already struggling. Would would this make it harder for them? Right. I think you know, so economically, like the Denver economy is not a is not a pie that that doesn't that doesn't ever expand. Right. It's a robust, flexible, dynamic entity that contracts and 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 expands. The more people we have working, the more people we have buying. Right. Um, uh, there's 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 no shortage of economic data that suggests that in, introducing more migrant workers into a community also introduces more more migrant uh, consumers into a community. And, you know, that wealth then gets uh, gets spread. I think the question, the more fundamental question is, is, is one about uh, values. Right. What does it mean to to say, you know, we are a community that welcomes migrants, that we are a community that is in part constructed by migrants, not just migrants today, but migrants of generations past. I live on the north side. The north side is a is a is a part of the city of Denver, right, that has a rich tradition of housing group after group of of of, of immigrants that have you know, come to to this part of the United States to to make it the place that so many of us love and that you know so many people are currently flocking to. Um, and, and I think for any elected official, it's a question of how do you pull the, the levers that are available to you as, as, a, as a leader economically, financially, politically, legally um, to, to make those values reality. And I think this is one opportunity that is available to the Johnson administration that they haven't yet um, turned to. Um, and, 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 I, and I would hope that they, they, would, they would think seriously about doing so. I guess ultimately... If the mayor doesn't take this bold step that you've proposed or this bold risk, what what do you think could happen? Well, I think he's going to earn a lot of frequent flyer miles going back and forth from from Washington to Denver, complaining more about how we need more work permits. Um, I think it's just going to mean that migrants who are already here are going to start working. It's just that they're going to be working without work authorization. In that sense, they're going to be the you know the the most recent group of migrants um, in Denver and in every city in the United States who doesn't have the federal government's permission to work, but is working nonetheless. Um, and we all know what that means. It means they're they're more easily exploitable. Um, they're paid less, um, and it's harder for folks then to stand up on their feet um, and become sort of the the self sustaining, self reliant people that. You know, most of us want to be. 
Well, you you have this new book. I'd love for you to tell us about the, what the book is about and, and a little bit m- more about that. Yeah, Welcome to Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien. It comes out uh, on January 30th, and I'll be at Tyler Cover speaking about it on Colfax um, on February 1st. The book is, is really a, a, a call um, to point out how this narrative that Republicans and Democrats can never agree on anything when it comes to immigration policies is wrong. Republicans and Democrats for, for decades have agreed that anyone who runs up against the criminal legal system is unfit for, for life in the United States, that we ought to you know, wield the federal government's uh, immigration law enforcement uh, resources to, against them, to try to imprison them and deport them. Um, and the, 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 the book really points out the fact that you know, this is no different from what many of us find in our own lives and our own families. Um, we're all a bunch of imperfect, uh, flawed people. Our imperfections change, but the one thing that's constant is imperfection. Um, we're a community of people who uh, celebrate um, uh, folks who have committed genocide and all kinds of violence in the name of some kind of glory and heroism and, and economic um, activity. And so to look at migrants these days and say, well, you messed up, um, uh, is to deny that reality, not only of ourselves individually, uh, but of the community. And so um, I'm really putting forth a, a, an argument that crime should have no bearing when it comes to who gets to make a life in the United States, because we are, after all, just a, a community full of, of people who mess up uh, every single day. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes for folks that want to come in and check out your conversation with uh, with our friend of the show, Senator Julie Gonzalez. Cesar, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure to be here. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell Texas Governor Greg Abbott about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. My favorite part is this ghost bus idea. Like a bus just showed up. Well, someone was driving it. Did anybody ask him? I'd be like, oh man, this like grizzly Texan man hanging out at the bus depot named Greg Abbott just sent him. Sent me to Denver. (laughs) And he was like, take this bus to Denver. Take this bus to Denver City. Oh, wait, there is actually a Denver City and it's not us.